1: And if you haven't taken a gut shot yet, as a man, it's coming. Uh, You can't get through this life without a couple of gut shots.
2: It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood.
0: Our producer and co-host and my brother from another mother, Dale Culver. How are you doing, man? Doing really good, Jim. Did you like that? I feel like I got the high note there. I had to I had to jump up and down of my seat real hard to get it, but I got it. So yeah,
3: you were jumping pretty high. Hey, uh,
0: I'm really excited about our guest today. Yeah, you know that I can jump. Yeah, I can jump. Anyway, hey, I'm really excited about today's guest. This is a guy, as you know, Dale, for the last year, I've served uh on the National Coalition of Men's or Ministries to Men, and uh, Claire is the executive director of that ministry. So, in the last year, I've got to know him a lot, and really excited to get him on the show today. We're gonna have a great time, and we're gonna have a wild ride. So, uh, but before we do, do you have a man word? I do, and my man word is thrive. What are <laughs> Are you doing some kind of Are you doing some kind of uh, like multi level marketing now, or what? That sounds like you are selling. something. I didn't me something.
3: say my man word is go diamond. I said thrive.
0: <laughs> if you can dream it, you can achieve. No,
3: we honestly, you know, we do what we do. Okay, so why would you pick would that? Why would you pick that? Word? You do what you do. I do what I do, and and our guest Claire is, as well, because we want to see guys thrive in their relationships with the, their spouse, their kids. Um, relationships and work, the relationship with Christ. And uh, we just want to see men really thrive in all things uh, that God has ordained them to thrive in and not just live this mediocre life, just allowing things to happen to them, um, to be victims. We want them to be successful and thrive uh, in all that God has laid out for them.
0: No, that's really good, man. I mean, we we've been saying it over and over again. When a man gets it, everyone wins. It is a true statement. And honestly, for a man to thrive, he has to step into his best version in Christ. We were we were doing a Bible study with about ten guys last night, and one of the guys had Friday guys because I don't know where he's at spiritually. And I just said, listen, without without Jesus, you're never going to be your best version. Period. It's not even a discussion. If you want your life to truly thrive, you've got to radically surrender to Jesus Christ. Not say I'm a Christian. Statistically, that doesn't mean anything different than the world. But to say, hey, I'm a radical follower of Jesus, and that's where you step into this best version. It's hard enough to be your best version. I mean, I believe this, and I don't know what our guests would think, but the strongest men in history and the strongest men I've ever met are followers of Jesus because they don't care about Absolutely. dying. They don't care about pain. They live by sacrifice. They, they are the best version, and they just are bar none, far and away, it takes a stronger man to live for Jesus uh, than than to live for yourself. And so that's I'll stand on that. I'll die on that. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to take the hits. And that's how you become your best version. But before we get into that, let's uh, bring on our guest today. I'm really excited to bring on my new friend, Claire Hoover. He and I share a very similar age, which is not going to be shared here. He lives in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Did I pronounce that right? You got it. How do you say that?
1: You said it correctly. Manheim. All
0: right. Well, he's been married to his beautiful wife, Bonnie, for 32 years. And, you know, I've never seen Bonnie, but I, I can always say beautiful wife when a guy comes on a show because I, I, I've noticed this in my life, Dale. All the Christian guys have all the best looking women. So it's just the way it works. So his beautiful (laughs) wife, Bonnie, for 32 years. Uh, Claire's a business owner specializing in commercial real estate development and management, and he has a call-in to challenge and encourage men as Christ followers. So he's the executive director for the National Coalition of Ministries to Men, but he has another job. He's a commercial real estate guy, so this is really impressive. And for the past 14 years, Claire has also led a men's ministry leadership team in his home church that has had the opportunity to minister to and encourage over 10,000 men. Claire is currently serving as the executive director, as I shared, with National Coalition of Ministries to Men. Claire, it's a pleasure to have you on my on the show, my friend.
1: Jim, it's an honor. Looking forward to it.
0: Oh, we're going to have fun. And I've, I know enough about you to know that you like to talk smack. <laughs> And to know that uh, a couple other things about you. And so we're going to have a little bit different interview today. It's going to be a lot more uh, personal. And I'm excited about that. But I want to throw you into our rapid fire round. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, so here's what I've done, man. I'm kind of messing with you a little bit because I know you. I've just picked some things that I know about you. And I just want you to talk about them. So this is called the This or That Round. Are you ready?
1: I am ready. Let's brew it. And So
0: here's the first one. Okay. okay. Steelers or Eagles?
1: Oh, man, Steelers. <laughs> I'm actually a Cowboys fan. So Wait, I-
0: hold on. you not
1: get near the Eagles. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> and actually had the honor.
0: Having- well, I'm a Steelers fan, so you said the right
1: well, thing. I actually had the honor of getting to know one of the players. He grew up here in Mannheim, uh, Mannheim High School, uh, and uh, Crater. Uh Dan Creder, the fullback. I've actually had him at our men's group to speak. Tremendous, like you said, a tremendous leader, great Christian guy. And uh I think he had 12 years in the NFL as a fullback.
0: Wow. And he went to high school right there. That's awesome. He did. So okay, so I, I for some reason I think I knew you were Steelers a, a Cowboys fan. Uh but when you're in Pennsylvania, you don't you have to almost choose.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, you do. So uh, I put a Dallas Cowboys uh, license plate on one of my vehicles, just out of curiosity. I was shocked it lasted a year. Um, But just a challenge to you, Jim. I I used to be a Steelers fan. I became a Christ follower and found myself falling in love with the Cowboys more each day. I'm curious where you're on your path on that journey.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, there's a deep darkness in me. And uh, that darkness is like a curtain, and it is this. It is actually I call it a steel curtain. So
1: <laughs> you guys had an interesting. Year. Oh
0: man! Okay, here's the next one.
1: There you <laughs> go. I
0: haven't watched one FL game. I haven't watched one full NFL game this year. I've kind of fallen off uh, interest with some of the NFL stances on some things, and so uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. But uh, here's the next one. You're gonna like this one. Van Halen or Led Zeppelin.
1: Oh Van Halen, absolutely. Seen them live many times and uh I'm curious about your answer on that.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, Van Halen all the way. I don't even like Le- the only thing I like about Led Zeppelin was high school and middle school Stairway to Heaven because it uh-huh. gave me 11 minutes to I- I'm going to be really honest, grope another girl in middle school because that's where I was in life. An 11-minute slow song, epic. Anyway, um yeah, but but I'm not a big fan of that band. Uh, just because i don't really love their music but i love van halen uh which le- and you've actually seen over 20 concerts
1: yeah yeah big fan. so i've seen them back to back nights already but yeah you can't uh eddie van halen's guitar licks and the vocals uh particularly uh, red rocker uh you can't beat it
0: okay so we're gonna get into that right now so okay here we go this or that sammy hagar the Red Rocker or David Lee Roth?
1: Yeah, got to be Sammy, uh, my favorite, and uh, yeah, it's hard to beat him. Those screaming vocals. I, he's just a cool guy. He has a really cool TV show. He's out interviewing people. Uh, hard to beat him. Uh, the other dude, David Lee, I, he just won. He took a U-turn on me at some point. So yeah, I love uh, love Sammy Hagar. How about you?
0: <sighs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do a little hedging here. I like David Lee Roth with Van Halen but I like Sammy Hagar far and away better. He, I, I just hit heavy metal, his mm. song, heavy metal. You know, he's a, I just love Sammy Hagar. Uh, But I like David Lee Roth better with Van Halen than I did with Sammy. So, which leads me to my next this or that. And these are numbers. Yes. These are numbers. You got to tell me which number you like better. And the numbers are 5150 or 1984.
1: Uh, uh, 5150. And uh, Really? You know, oh man! Okay. So before you ask, I have never been charged with that particular crime. What is fifty-one fifty? What does it stand for? It's a, <laughs> it's a criminal code for what? It's criminally insane, I think. Isn't it? A,
0: I thought it was crime in progress. Is okay. it? Is it cr- in criminally? It might be. Dale's gonna. Dale's gonna Google it and let us know. So.
1: <laughs> well, they've never charged. So me that's one.
0: so. Nineteen eighty-four was the year. What year did you graduate high school?
1: Uh, 1984, it was, uh, by the way, that was seven of the best years of my life. How about you? <laughs> I,
0: oh, I, baby, it was the best six of mine. <laughs> so it's almost a crime. It's almost a crime to not like 1984 better if you graduated high school in 1984.
1: Yeah, for me, it was the, the songs on 5150 are the ones I enjoy the most from Van Halen. So that's uh, why I picked it. But yeah, tough choice. You got some great this or that's here.
0: Well, here's what I never could understand about uh, the album 1984. Uh, I have it on my classic rock playlist, and I still don't understand what the heck Panama is about. Is that a girl's name? Is that a car? What What was Panama?
1: I don't know. That's a great question, but it is one of my favorite, Think about songs. It. Yep. One of my favorite songs from that album. Though. It's fun.
0: It is really fun. You know. So here's my last uh, this or that, and I know the answer already, but I've got to ask it. Eddie or Alex Van Halen?
1: Oh, man, Eddie. Uh, when he, uh, I don't know if you noticed, he would turn his back to the crowd when he would do things with that guitar that he didn't want people to figure out. The guy was just crazy good. Uh, kind of sad we lost him this year, but, man, just what, he, what he did with that instrument, yeah uh, no one's been able to replicate it. It's just incredible. But now you make it a tough choice. Alex, you can yeah, all yeah. tell Van Halen by the drum beat. Uh, what Alex did on the drums was crazy. I don't know if you know the childhood story. Uh Was it Alex that bought the guitar, but he was too busy working, and Eddie started playing, and that's how they ended up switching. It was a weird deal. Alex actually started out on guitar, but oh. phenomenal, phenomenally gifted family.
0: Yeah, very, very much. Yeah, Eddie, I used to love listening to him. He always smiled when he played, and he did things I could never imagine or have never heard anybody replicate. He could just do things on that guitar very, very special. So, hey, uh, that was really fun. I uh, just kind of messing around with you a little bit. I know that you're very passionate about, you know, as a Christian guy, it's almost, almost feel guilty about some of these non Christian bands that we like to listen to. But you know what? I, I'm at the point in my life where I don't care. I love the music and uh, it's high quality stuff. And the stuff that's gross and has horrible lyrics, I just fast forward through, or, you know, like we were laughing about Running with the Devil. I don't have that song on any of my playlists. I don't need to listen to that garbage. ACDC's highway to hell. You know, that guy died like a month after he wrote that song for ACDC. I
1: remember hearing that.
0: Yeah. And I, and so, Mm -hmm. you know, he wrote his own, it was a prophetic song in his life, but I I don't listen to that stuff, but the, the stuff that is kind of, you know, pan, you know, some of these songs that uh, don't matter too much, you know, Jamie's crying, you know, I don't know, pretty woman. I don't know. I'm going to keep listening to (laughs) him.
1: For me, it's a way to stay connected with non-Christian friends. And, uh, I think we're going to talk later about our uh, our men's ministry. When you walk into our room, we're actually playing classic rock songs. A lot of eagles, very carefully chosen songs. But about 30% of the men that walk into our men's group are not connected to Christ yet. If we play worship songs, we immediately alienate them. So we're playing classic rock. It's something we all enjoy. And, again, we, you know, we're we steering clear of songs like Running with the Devil. But, man, there's some really good eagles. There's some good old Kansas. Oh, yeah. Uh, definitely some old Van Halen stuff that we we love jamming too when the guys walk in.
0: Well, when I was in high school, I was not a Christian, and there were rumors floating around that the lead singer of Kansas was a believer. Dust in the Wind, Carry On, My Wayward Son. Mm-hmm. I mean, those songs are biblical in nature. So I think with some of these guys, you're, you know, and, and then of course Bono with U uh, two, he went on a real deep spiritual journey at one point, and I don't know where he's at now, but some of his songs are very, very deep in my, in my opinion. So. Anyway, well, hey, uh, I want to just jump in here, Claire, and uh, give us uh, take a few minutes and tell us about yourself. We know that you like the Dallas Cowboys. We know that you like Van Halen. Uh, but what else about your life, uh, to give our guys context, what else can you tell us?
1: I live in uh, eastern Pennsylvania, and uh, both my sons are in business with me now. The most fun I've ever had uh, with my uh, two sons is uh, we've become great friends. They're two of my best friends, and we do business together. I uh, love to travel. I like anything with horsepower. I grew up racing motocross, um, right now into street bikes, a couple Harleys and a chopper. And uh, my sons and I built a uh, big diesel truck a little while ago, put together uh, 700 plus horsepower. So uh, I don't know it, you talked about thriving earlier. I've always loved that concept, of the abundant life. And I want to get every ounce of this life has. And then I can't wait for the next part of the journey. So we get, like Paul said, we get to win both ways. We win when we wake up in the morning. We win when we spend time in heaven.
0: So I'm doing a Bible study about heaven with my guys, with a group of guys, about 10 to 12 guys. And it's really interesting. Most Christians have no idea what heaven is. And I'm a, they have no idea. They have no concept. They're like, well, I know you worship 24-7. I'm like, gosh, that just sounds so boring to me. I'm not a big fan of a lot of these worship songs. And so I'm like, what is worship? You know, is it worship in music? Is there an, do I get a harp? Is there a cloud? Do I have a diaper? You know, what's going on here? And so, you know, it's really, but I do, I do know this. One of my, one of my primary life verses is John 10, 10 B. John 10, 10 A says the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But then this is the part that I love, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest or have it abundantly. So what does that abundant life look like to you, Claire?
1: I think it's, uh, it's, it's finding joy in all circumstances, and uh, those are not circumstantial, which is an interesting paradox. So uh, for me right now, it's a challenging time. If we're going to be honest, uh, the last couple of weeks in our country, and the world, uh, anywhere from health issues to politics, has not been the brightest spot of my time on the planet. Uh what I really like about it, if there's a bright side, um I love this life. I love having an abundant life, getting the most out of every day. I want to feel God's joy as I go throughout my day that I'm doing what he wants me to. Uh but I always struggle with uh being forced to leave this planet. I don't like our mortality. I don't I'm gonna miss my kids, gonna miss my grandkids, everybody I love. However, uh this is a fallen world and it was never designed to be our home. If there's a bright spot right now, The darker the world gets, the less fearful I am of leaving it. Uh, It gets me excited about heaven. There's days I'm just tired, uh, tired of dealing with it all. And uh, we have this amazing promise of uh, God will walk with us on this planet, but we can spend eternity hopefully without any of the junk that that might frustrate us right now.
0: Yeah, that's really good, man. Well, you know, last year I don't know if you know this, but we had a hundred guys. We had 122 nations represented on this podcast, as far as people who downloaded this podcast. So. A lot of the guys who listen to this show, um, in fact, I've got a friend of mine, Miro. He's in the Czech Republic. You know, he's got his opinions about our U.S. presidents, and but he doesn't live here. And so, a lot of the guys listen to this show don't really care about like our political situation. But they, but they would probably admit that this is a dark place. In fact, Miro has both his parents got COVID. Uh, Czech, the Czech Republic has the worst incidences of covid in the whole world and so we are in a dark place right now so how to do, how does a christian man live out john 10:10 10, 10 in the midst of you know potentially political uh, officers that we did not vote for uh, but, you know uh, the economic situation that were that were it's is imminent the uh, covid-19 all of these things how does a christian man live out john 10:10 10, 10 and, and help, as you said earlier, infuse joy into those he loves instead of despair and anger and hate.
1: Oh, so I would tell you, uh, most of us who are Christ followers are passionate about helping other men in particular, especially since we're men's ministries, helping men find that relationship with Christ because we know it's the only answer. And uh, I would tell you, uh, when we're all on a mountaintop, they can't hear you. They cannot hear you because... Their confidence is in everything else, their finances, uh, their, their government, whatever. They're trusting things that you and I both know get shaken. Well, at a time like this, they're actually listening more. However, yeah. they're also watching very closely. You've been telling me for years, God is your rock, and why are you shaking? Right now, of all the times that we have to live out what we believe. So for me, it's, uh, it's a paradox in the Bible where it's described in our relationship with Christ. Uh, he gives us peace that surpasses understanding. So when I'm looking at the headlines, uh, they rattle me. And uh, when I uh, find God's peace, it's a paradox. But one of the things I've been studying very carefully lately is when God says reflect on these things. And he has a whole series of things in Philippians. Think on whichever is truthful, whatever is right, whatever is right, just all those that list. As you're reading the headlines, as you're spending time on social media, does it meet the criteria of where God said we should put our minds? And I I have friends who will spend three hours a day in watching social media and then go to God and pray for peace. That's crazy, man. You're filling yourself with three hours of junk and then going to God and say, hey, can you fix this? He told us up front, spend your time thinking about these things on these things. I skim headlines every day. I need to for business and for ministry. It's important to know what's going on. But man, I limit my time there. So that's how I'm surviving it. And I'm counting on that peace that surpasses understanding. And I am working hard to make sure that I'm showing people what I've been telling them for years: that God is real, He's my rock, and this is all temporary.
0: Yeah, we've got to be very careful. I know for me, I run around uh, and interact with a lot of people from various sides of the political spectrum, and my job is to be a kingdom man. You know, Philippians three twenty says that we are citizens of heaven, and so if I'm a kingdom man. I have to be pulling everybody together to follow the king of the unseen country, which is Jesus. And so when I start doing this anti Biden or anti Trump and uh, a lot of Christian guys get caught in that trap, I'm actually uh, alienating myself from those who are on the other side. And we've just got to be very careful with that. And I, I have some very Mm -hmm. strong (laughs) political opinions, but I try to limit them to those who, uh, are in my immediate circle because I don't want to hinder what God could potentially do uh, for his kingdom. I don't want to ruin that. And in the church, uh, we, if you were to categorize the majority of men in the, the churches we interact with, they would definitely fall on one side of the fence, right? And so we just, uh, just being careful there. So, so, Hey, if we're looking at, you know, you talk about this uh, being a difficult time. If you looking back at 2020, Claire, <clears throat> this is a year what we will never forget. What challenges did you personally face that you had to overcome to express the abundant life to those around you?
1: So I, uh, I have a foot in two worlds. I spent about half my time in the marketplace uh, with our commercial properties. We do a lot of self-storage. And then the other half of my time is spent in men's ministries uh, with the church and with NCMM. Uh, they both had scary challenges. Uh, March, I think March, April was when this thing really became uh, came to the forefront. I went through a period of about six weeks where I was embarrassed how shaken I was. I really thought it took me 20 years to build these businesses. My sons are involved. Uh, I've got a lot of employees I care deeply about, and I saw it all crumbling. I did not understand how we could shut down a high percentage of this economy and still have everybody survive. So I got through that and I had to get past the grieving of... Uh, this world has always been temporary. And God warns us, don't build our treasures up here on earth. Don't count on things here on earth. From a ministry standpoint, Jim, you know, a lot of the guys are conference guys. Of all the horrible things that can... Yeah, happen, struggling. You've got every state in the nation basically saying you can't meet with more than X amount of people. And even if they allowed you to, people were scared to be together. I felt like every ministry is going to crumble. Uh, the reality was once I got past it and... Uh, Heard from God that, hey, I got this. I know you can't see it. Nothing's changed. Uh, I am still on the throne. It's just going to be a little hard to see right now, the path. Once I got past that, I started watching the best leaders I was around. A lot of them are NCMM guys. And I kept hearing the same phrase, blessing in disguise. As they talked about what happened here with COVID, uh, what you and I are doing today with this technology, we probably want to force ourselves to go to. NCMM is finding new leaders that we can engage with. Because we have no geography boundaries anymore, what I believe is that there's not, there's very little about the um, about COVID that's actually a blessing. But great leaders always look at Plan A and say, "Okay, that didn't work out. The 2020 I had planned didn't come together. What's best Plan B?" And they find blessings in disguise and they land in places. Uh, when I translate that into Bible. What I hear very clearly, and I hear secularists saying the same thing, blessing in disguise. They don't know what they're saying. They're actually saying what Christ told us all along. That which was meant for evil, I will turn into good. Just watch me. I'm in shock. My business had a record year. NCMM, I believe, is stronger than we've ever been, connecting with more men than we've ever been. This is 2020 I'm talking about. That was supposed to be the worst year ever. So blessing in is a God who knows how to take bad and turn into good. Uh, we're still here, and uh, I can't believe I'm saying it, but 2020 was turned out to be a great year with a pretty big valley somewhere in the middle.
0: Yeah, you know, we had our best year in ministry, and um, financially way better than other years. Uh, I can't explain it. I just know we're there. We've got a better, stronger vision than we've ever had. And I, I hear you say that about NCMM. So I came on the board in May, and and they've got a history that dates back. 25 years, and for you to say that, I'm going. Wow, that's interesting that, that he would say that. Because to me, there's so much further we can go. So why don't you t- Why don't you tell these guys what NCMM is and yep. uh, what th- what we stand for and represent? Some of these guys may not know.
1: Yep. So it's the National Coalition, Coalition of Ministries of Men, and the best way to describe us is our tagline: We connect the men that disciple men. Uh, this was started, uh, actually, I think we're 2021 20, year, 22 years old. Uh, Patrick Morley, who you had on as a guest a bit ago, was a big part of starting it. Him and I believe he would tell you yeah. 17 to 20 other leaders came together. Uh, we know a couple of things. Uh, the enemy breaks us down by isolating us. You can take that down to the personal level when, uh, the enemy wakes you up at two o'clock in the morning because there's nobody to call. Uh, he's attacking you on your own. We also know in men's ministry, If the enemy can cut the head off the snake, he's hurt a lot of people. If he can knock these leaders out, uh, he's in, he's taken a lot of men who are going to make great choices and push them back into a world. They can't defend themselves. So we bring the leaders together. Uh, we connect on, we right now, we're doing a, uh, first and third Wednesday of each month, a zoom call, where we feature an NCMM leader and he can, any topic he's passionate about, uh, had Patrick Morley on that. Um, and, uh, then we, uh, Pre-COVID had done regional meetups where we could uh, actually put leaders together yeah. in several cities. And then we do a large national meeting uh, that we get behind. We're all about connecting leaders uh, with like minds and seeing if they can work together to strengthen each other.
0: Yeah, and I'm really excited about the Disciple uh, Men podcast mm-hmm. where we're taking NCMM members. or we, we are actually interviewing them and we're putting them on that website. And so I think that's really important. That'll help these guys. So a lot of our guys listening actually are men's ministry leaders in their churches. Mm. And so what would you tell those guys about NCMM?
1: Uh, first of all, we're underrepresented in churches uh, for whatever reason. That's where I, I cut my teeth on men's discipleship was in local church. And uh, a lot of, you know, uh, the pastors are not always passionate or as passionate as we are. Uh, it'd be great to connect uh, my particular story in our local church was a simple one. My pastor approached me. I was about ready to retire, by the way. I'm around age 40. I was going to sell a couple businesses, and I don't know what I was thinking. I read through Solomon, and I heard all the terrible stuff about living selfishly, and if that doesn't carry Ecclesiastes, I think it actually starts out saying all is vain, and it goes downhill from there. I should have learned from that, but I was going to retire, and about that time, my church contacted me and said, hey, our men's ministry is struggling. The current leader is leaving. Would you take over? I wanted no part of it. I argued with them for an hour. I did not want to do it. Uh, they finally, we left with an agreement. I agreed to give it one year and if it didn't work, I'm out of here. And uh, they agreed to let me run it however I wanted to. I was convinced it would die in a year. I'll give these guys a year and never hear from them again. We both hang up smiling. They were convinced they had heard from God. I was convinced it was going to fail. It didn't fail. It went crazily good. Uh, what I will tell you is... Uh, Find other men's ministry leaders. We need to keep telling the story. There are so many failed stories out there of uh, men's ministries inside churches that don't work. There are so many that do work. Find out what they're doing right. Be encouraged by it. Don't let the enemy tell you it can't be done. And that's that's why I would tell you to join NCMM. Uh, We'd love to share more of that story. There's going to be 10 different ideas of how to be successful in your local church. And maybe only one of them fits you, but we're going to help you find that fit, connect you with the leaders who are making it happen.
0: Yeah, we're in the middle of putting together like-minded or affiliate groups, correct, where we're going to place guys according like outdoor ministries right. or conference ministries or, you know, podcasters or authors or church men's ministry leaders into an affiliate group so these guys can encourage one another. How, how are we doing on that process?
1: We're doing great. So uh, if you want to, just jump on our website, ncmm.org, and uh, click on membership. And from there, you can search. Uh, we have a bunch of different criteria. Call me off guard here. I don't to memorize. But uh, you can search uh, by region if you want to see <laughs> a particular part of the country uh, or by affinity group. Uh, if you're an outdoor ministry, if you're a, a conference ministry, a church ministry, we have, I think, there might be 15 to 20 different designations. You can pick your top three. And we help you find other like-minded ministries uh, that are very similar to you. I am a big fan of Not inventing the Wheel. And I'm going to shift to the business side here just real quickly about why NCMM works. I do self-storage. I've spent 20 years learning this business. And I've gotten very good at it to the point we have people begging us to manage their facilities. Um, I have uh, taken friends of mine who want to learn the business. And what I learned in 20 years, I can transfer them in a matter of months. I get excited when I do that. I tested it in the business side. Why can't we do that in ministries? Why can't I take an emerging leader who's going to fail without any help and give him 20 years of knowledge in one year and help him get going? I've watched it happen with our guys come along alongside each other. Uh, You know, I don't know how to create a website. Who's the best website guy in NCM? Let's connect them. I don't know how to create the uh, 501 uh, seed designation. Who can do that for me? These guys can shortcut the process so much that so you can get down to real solid ministry and get past all those details they can help you with. Another tagline we have at NCMM is, um, if you're struggling with a particular uh, challenge in your ministry, join NCMM. Another leader has probably already figured out the answer.
0: For sure. Well, I think that's so good, Claire. And, you know, we just hired a pastor at our church, and I'm at a, I've, I've chosen to attend a smaller church strategically. And uh, the pastor, we had him come and speak at a men's event. So we had 43, I think, dudes at this barbecue. I did the cooking. And I said, hey, you need to—he's not even started yet. I said, you need to bring the heat. You need to cast vision. And you need to get these guys behind you. And every January, you're going to do that for the church, for the men. And he said, well, I've never been in a church with a men's ministry. (laughs) And I said, well, you are now, brother. And 70% of the guys on Sunday are men, so you better bring the heat. And so, but this is— This is the struggle is we have guys listening to this podcast right now who have a deep desire to help other men, and their church does not have a men's ministry. And so I I hesitate to talk about your ministry because guys could get overwhelmed, but you built a weekly men's ministry of over 1,300 men, and 12,000 men have come through your doors in 14 years. But that's a big church, right? What's your average pre-COVID attendance, 20,000 on Sunday or something like that?
1: Yeah, that would be a good number, fifteen to twenty, depending uh, which number you look at. So, can I? So,
0: I'll, if we if we take that number and go by, per, well, I just want to encourage these guys. If we just break it down to percentage wise, yeah, you're talking ten percent. So, if a church is two hundred, surely a guy can start a men's ministry and get ten to twenty of his buddies around in a church.
1: Let me let me take it. Let me take it. Let me take it back a step. Uh, this didn't start out with me standing in front of a thousand men on Thursday nights, started out 20 years ago, sitting at a breakfast table across from one guy and flushing it out. I just had guys, I had uh, had some early success with business and I had guys who saw my lifestyle and wanted to learn it. Well, you're not going to get time with me without finding out that Christ was who created me and who I'm following. That's where my men's ministry started. And quite frankly, Jim, uh, today, NCMM has changed our perspective. There was a time, if you went to our website, if you didn't have an office building with staff, you wouldn't have felt comfortable joining NCMM. You wouldn't have thought you had a ministry. We believe today, if we go down to Starbucks on a Friday morning and I see one guy with another guy, and maybe a Bible or a book laying between them, that's men's ministry today. This next generation of leaders, of millennials, want smaller groups, Cut your teeth there. I don't, you know, whether whether your pastor has a vision for men's ministry or not, should not stop you from inviting one or two other guys and building it from there. I'm going to take away every excuse you have because that's how I did it. And then when uh, there's a a quote out there that says, uh, success comes when preparation meets opportunity. I had spent at least 10 years doing breakfast with a couple of guys. It was never intentional. They reached out to me. I didn't put a lot of effort or time into it. I spent 10 years. Finding out how to inspire another man, how to encourage him about what an abundant life is, how to get him to be a Christ follower more than he was. When my pastor called, um, it was time to get in front of a mic and try it. But 10 years of effort, and you just don't need to wait. Um, You can get started now in a very simple format.
0: Yeah, take one guy and do a Bible study. We've had a young man live in our house for the last uh, eight months. He's a a 23 year old young man who's in college and we're just letting him live there for free, and he's got a spiritual background as a Christian family. But uh, without going into the details, um, his dad's in jail for doing some heinous things, and so this guy's kind of broken. And uh, just the other day, I said, "Hey, man, you want to do a Bible study?" He's lived there for eight months, and we haven't said anything. Uh, you know, we have just kind of been done life together. Hey, man, you want to do a Bible study? He goes, "Oh, I would love that." It's like he was waiting to be asked. And I think that's—I think guys yeah. are hungry for that. They—they they just need to have one guy sit down with them. I mean, I'm a Christian today because one guy sat down with me and wouldn't leave me alone. And he's the vice president of our organization now. So that, that's really powerful, Claire. I really do appreciate that. Uh, just anything that a guy can do to get something going in his church. And, and we can help. We've got a whole uh, calendar we can give to guys. We we are more than willing as an organization to help guys. And so hey, if you could go back, Claire, if you could go back to 2020 and take a mulligan what would you do different?
1: <laughs> I would not have spent the six weeks uh, staring at the waves and the storm. I would immediately put my eyes on Christ. I wasted six weeks. I'm embarrassed at that. I am further along in my journey with Christ. I don't know how that would knock me off my feet so much. Uh, it was a wasted six weeks. I actually lost some weight. I didn't sleep much, um, and. Uh, Christ had all the answers all along. I'm embarrassed by that, but it won't happen again. Bring it on, baby.
0: Well, I appreciate your honesty. You know, my wife really struggled with that as well. Uh, she got slept into some depression stuff cause she's a flight attendant. So everything is shut down for her. And so oh, for wow. me, <clears throat> I, I remember thinking, okay, I need to respond to this in a godly manner. And so for us, we really stepped up our game. So that was really, uh, beneficial for our ministry. But I think it it goes back to this question, Claire. I think that as Christian men, I said earlier that the guys I know who are the bravest men on the planet and the strongest are the Christian guys. We have to prepare. Matthew Henry said every man should prepare every day for the final day. And I think that men need to be prepared for two things. One, they need to be prepared to die at any second, like at any second. And number two, they need to be ready and want and invite and pray for persecution. I think those two things that we need to be ready to suffer and willing to suffer. Second Timothy three twelve says for the godly in Christ will be persecuted. And so I think that that's what guys should do. Like let's get over this heated steering wheel, you know, comfort thing and let's, let's press into persecution and embrace it. I mean, what do you think about that? Looking back on 2020.
1: Uh, that was that became one of the things that got me out of that uh, six-week uh, uh, state of mind. Uh, I started thinking about Paul, and I think he was the one who said, count it as all joy when you are tested. And I kept thinking, why would I? I'm not where Paul was, where he rejoiced in prison, and I'm still not crazy enough to say, God, please test me. But I can tell you, uh, alleys are inevitable. And if you haven't taken a gut shot yet as a man, it's coming. Uh, you can't get through this life without a couple of gut shots. Uh, when we count it as joy, I think of particularly about my, I understand more about my heavenly father as I became a father and, and shepherded my two sons into adulthood. And, uh, I, uh, one of the quotes I always loved was, uh, our job when, when, uh, raising our children is not to straighten the curves, but to teach them to navigate the curves because someday you're not going to be there. I count it as joy when I get to take my sons through things and they get to see me challenged because they're learning. And I understand my heavenly father is going to allow stuff into my life. Uh, some things intentionally and some things is just the luck of the draw and what the world throws it, but he's going to use it as a teaching moment. So, um. Great question, but I, uh, for me, it's all about um, we're on a journey here, and ultimately, uh, Christ is purifying us uh, to spend eternity with Him, and this uh, is a big uh, a playing field here that we are going to go through some things and need to learn to rely on Him.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful, man. So uh, James said, "...consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials." But you were quoting Romans chapter five and Paul in verse three, where he said, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy spirit who he has given us. And that's just really powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, Claire, I run around with a lot of guys who are um, gun guys. I'm a hunter. And so I have a lot of buddies who are gun guys and, you cannot get ammunition right now. It's just you just can't get it. People are f- afraid, you know, NRA has now declared bankruptcy and, and we've got a Democrat president. And so all of um a lot of a lot of my conservative brothers are just really fit to be tied because they can't find ammo. But you know what I found? I found that a lot of those same gun guys are gonna go blow somebody away and they're flying their don't tread on me flags. A lot of these guys haven't even shot a tweety bird and I'm not sure a lot of these guys would ever even be willing to stand up and die for their faith. So what's, what is What do we tell a guy who's going to go, you know, kill somebody, you know, that's got all this ammo stored, which I'm one of those guys. I have my ammo store. I've got all these things, but, but what's the difference between, between that and really being willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel?
1: I think, uh, this, uh, the big picture here is the lost definition of manhood, and uh, we've been studying this for years as we've taught our men, and uh, if you go back to it, uh, men became men in the early 1900s by working beside their father. We were an agricultural nation. Most guys worked on a farm. I had the privilege of growing up on a farm, and I knew what my dad did every day. I was there right beside him. I didn't particularly like it. I felt like I had a, a hard life, but... Looking back, I learned what a hard day's work was and wasn't scared to be what you would call a man. If you watch the progression, uh, we went from an agriculture society into industrial. And our fathers went to factories every day. And they were long, hard days. And I believe they might have been six days a week, if I recall. And nothing left. They came home. At the same time, uh, education, we ended up going off to schools. And it was mostly female teachers because the men were in factories. So we won separation from our fathers. Now we had no good example. We never got to see what a man did or how a man responded throughout the day. If um, if you had the privilege of still being in an agriculture community, a lot of our fathers got shipped off to war in the World Wars, and they came back emotionally shut down. They saw things, had to do things that uh, that killed them. One more separation from their sons. One more piece that I, now my father's not emotionally available. Even when he does have time, he doesn't want to talk about anything. If you survived all that, along comes feminism. And uh, my definition of feminism, very simply, they are trying to tell us we're the same. At our group of men, we teach them that we are equal but not the same. Uh, we, re- we value women every way we're supposed to we are not the same. God created us male and female for a reason. And you guys know where how much attack there is on society in that. So it's no wonder the men you're talking about, Jim, and the next generation are confused right now. Uh, every little piece that helped us define our manhood uh, is at risk. And to the point uh, right now, I think it's uh, anti-cultural to even refer to God as a male. Uh, I've, I've heard they've rewritten a version of the Bible somewhere where there is no male and female anymore. Uh, it's just not the way God designed it, and it's confusing a lot of men.
0: Well, and there, be even beyond that, Claire, there are a lot of people nowadays saying you shouldn't put a personal pronoun he or she in front of a person's name. That's their decision to call it. You know, and so the, <laughs> this is all garbage. That you know, I I refuse to bow down to that because I'm willing to be persecuted for my faith. I was called a hate monger about two weeks ago because of my stance on homosexuality. I was called uh, a-hole by somebody else. You know, those things, those are, those are inv- fun for me, that, that we can have this happen. You know, another thing that happened that you didn't mention was in World War II, the men went to war, the women went in the factories. And so the women went to work in the cities. And that really was a launch of a, a platform or a beginning of the feminist movement. But yeah, I agree, man. We are definitely uh, equal, but we are radically, radically different women are radically different from men and I, I do agree with that 100% so that's really good stuff man so i think the last 5 years specifically have become very very confusing for men and it, it, it's tough to even know what to say anymore where before at least i knew what to say but now you're it's it's very it's been become very unclear for men have you seen that trend as well and what are you how are you handling that
1: <laughs> I absolutely have seen it, oh, man. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's a tough one, Jim. To I think uh, so clearly we need to hear from God. I think one of my favorite—I I teach this to my sons. Uh, first of all, servant leadership. I love that it, it's an oxymoron in a way. Uh, the word "servant" and "leadership"—you uh, get two different, very different versions of it. But from a biblical standpoint, walking humbly with my God. I see the paradox in there. The word humble almost doesn't fit with the word God. God is all powerful. That's what I see. Um, God calls us at times to be absolutely loving and caring and empathetic to everything around us. And other times he calls us to stand up and say, whoa, that is just not the way it is. Uh, That powerful statement, as for me in my house, that's where I see the best leaders living right now. So we are hearing all the noise around us, um, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve this God. And here's what He happens to say about that particular topic. And I, you are free to disagree with me. You're not going to become my enemy. I'm still going to love you. However, as for me and my house, uh, we're going to honor God in this way because that's what He taught us. It is not popular, and I, by the way, I, I apologize for calling you all those names. I didn't know you were going to bring that up on the podcast, but. I'm joking, but uh, I think we, I, of all the times that men need to take a stand, uh, it's pretty clear right now.
0: Yeah, it really is. And I, Jeremiah 25, uh 2415 is huge. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a friend on the podcast, a mutual friend of ours, Tom Wilson, who is, as you know, the CEO of Better Man with Robert Lewis. And they came out with this study called Five Essentials to engage today's men. And it was really interesting to me that practicing in their survey of 1,595 men, I think it was 40 or 30, forty-two, no, 32% of practicing Christian men live with their girlfriends mm-hmm. under 34 years old. And then it's the same exact amount for those outside of the church. And something like 42% think homosexuality is okay. Uh, 40-something-else percent think uh, sex before marriage is okay. And then Tom Wilson made this statement because I said, Tom, aren't, aren't you appalled at what we you discovered? He said, yeah, we are a little bit. He said, and I, what I don't understand is we're reading the same Bible. And I said, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. Are we? Are we? <laughs> I mean, are we reading it? I mean, what are we actually reading? Because I can read the same Bible and come away with different things. What, what we need to do, well, Where does obedience to Scripture play into a man's life? When you approach Scripture, Claire, how do you approach it that that is different than, let's say, a guy who thinks these other things are okay?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to go back to admitting uh, something I'm embarrassed about, uh, the amount of wisdom in the Bible. I grew up in a a faith-based home, Uh, attended church my whole life. I spent the bulk of my adult life trying to write my own script and ignoring the wisdom in the Bible. And when I look back at my biggest mistakes, all of the answers were already there. Uh, Proverbs in particular, from a business standpoint or a daily living standpoint, had all the answers. So if I can call it a soft answer, turning away wrath, uh, walking humbly with my God, all my biggest mistakes were already addressed in the Bible uh, 2,000 years ago. And so uh, I'm just learning every day. I don't like making mistakes. They're painful. These little detours I put my life on are expensive. I've got scars on me, literally. Uh, just about killed myself in a motorcycle accident a year and a half ago. I literally still have scars. And had I listened to some wisdom, uh, I wouldn't have made some of those choices. So it, to me, it's a no-brainer. If I want an abundant life and I want to live the best version of me that God has designed, I've got to spend time in Scripture. And I don't interpret it. Um, I assume it was timeless, that it uh, has nothing to do, that 2020, it should be read the same way as it was in 1945 when my father was growing up as a, as a man. So, uh, it's, it's, my church has a really good stance on this. I've watched them pull people in before our elder board who were living a lifestyle that they didn't agree with, and they would start out with the most beautiful phrase, I am so sorry. But for, we are a Bible-believing church, and sometimes we don't understand everything Scripture says, but we blindly follow it. We love you, but your lifestyle is addressed in the Bible. We can't agree with it. So we'll keep on loving on you, but don't expect us to compromise. Part of our love doesn't mean we're going to change our belief system. I love the way that you sort of—there's a beauty and an empathy in approaching someone and saying, look, I don't agree with what you're doing. I don't always understand the Bible, but for me and my house, we've chosen to follow it blindly. Uh, There's no interpretation needed. So tough, tough time in the culture today, but I don't think we need to change our stance.
0: Well, that's really impressive that you said that. I'm impressed with that, that we don't need to interpret the Bible. Guys, listen. Guys, the Bible that is falling apart belongs to the man who is not. Mm -hmm. Guys, you gotta you gotta enter the Bible saying, How can you, God, shape me through your word? Don't enter your study of the Bible saying, How can I let the how can I manipulate the word of God to fit what I already want to do that's outside of scripture. Dale and I have been talking about this a lot that there's a difference between supporting someone and loving them. You can love them without supporting them. And so that's what I hear that your church is doing, and that's pretty cool, man. Appreciate that.
1: So in our uh, men's group, we uh, have a lot of men who are frustrated asking, you know, I'm trying to witness to other men, trying to get them to understand Christ and uh, just not getting anywhere. Uh, We have a simple principle. Uh, The principle is stay in the relationship and wait for the crisis. Every man's going to get a gut shot. Uh, Nobody gets out of here alive. So maybe it's the last two years of your life or the first time you had a tough time. Our men are trained to make sure when the guy gets the gut shot, when the crisis hits, whatever it is, uh, that we should be on that top five list of people they call. And now we're ready to talk with them. They're ready to listen finally. Hey, something hit me or I have no clue how to deal with it. Okay, brother, let me get together. Let's grab a cup of coffee and talk about it. While we're talking about it, I know you didn't like hearing this before, but I need to tell you the way I would get through this is with the help of God. Let me tell you more about it. So just stay in a relationship no matter how messy it is. No matter where you've got to meet them at, no matter what you've got to turn a blind eye toward in their life right now, stay in that relationship so that when they need help, you're on that list of people they're going to call. It's the best way I know uh, to to get through today.
0: Okay. So every podcast, I look for one gold nugget I can steal. So I'm stealing something that you said three times already in this podcast. Every man is going to get a gut shot. (laughs) I'm a hunter. A, A gut shot means you kill, you're kill you going to kill that animal, but you may never find it because it's a slow and painful death. And, and you know what's really interesting? We have a mutual friend who serves on the board of directors with us, Brian Doyle, who's the founder of uh, Iron Sharpens Iron National Men's Conferences. And Brian said to me one time, men are made for pressure. Mm-hmm. And I highly agree with that. In fact, I, I think that's such a great stroke of wisdom because when that gut shot happens, I have found that strong men, Christian men love crisis because it's their chance to thrive. It's their chance to show Jesus. In fact, I have a good friend of mine who always is telling me, hey, Jim, go create a crisis. (laughs) So how, how do you see that? How do you see creating a crisis uh, in helping a man, a man who's experienced a gut shot, or or walking into that crisis with him, because it's when we see a guy in crisis, it's really easy to 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 step back and say, "Whoa, whoa, this isn't my problem." But the Bible says in Hebrews ten thirty nine, "For we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed." So, how does a man lean into that crisis, uh, or have the uh, di- apply direct pressure to that gut
1: shot? So. Uh... I am not as far along in that journey as I like to be where I ask for a crisis. What I can tell you, I've been through enough now. <laughs> I don't fear the valley like I used to. I, I, beg for God, yes. I beg for God to bring fruit in my life on the mountaintop. I'd much rather be on the mountaintop. But I think the saying is there's not enough rain on the mountaintop. Fruit comes in the valley. I uh, Last March when I saw that valley coming, uh, there's years ago, that would have knocked me off my feet even worse than it did. I now... I grieve what could have been. I grieve the fact that for whatever reason, I'm coming off the mountaintop for a while, but I'm not as fearful, and I now yearn for the fruit in the valley. I want to get through it as fast as I can. God, get us through this, please. Let me, teach me what you need me to know, help me lead others through whatever we're doing here, Uh, but I don't fear like I used to. I'll give you an example. Uh, Jim, you might have been a part of this. NCMM down in Dallas, Texas, we had our annual event. uh, It's 2019. Uh, The night before the event, uh, a tornado came through. I woke up Monday morning uh, with three little problems with our conference. Um, Problem number one was we had no hotel. The electric was out because of the tornado. Problem number two, we had no venue. Uh, Problem number three, we had no food. All our food was locked in the venue. So other than those three problems, we were in great shape. Uh, God God skillfully, within about two to three hours, let us recover. We moved the venue, had another caterer, and had uh, another hotel lined up very quickly in a a very traumatized area. I saw God moving away. It was incredible. I went on stage, and we had one of the best conferences we ever had because I think we all felt like we were attacked. Almost everything about that conference was supposed to be destroyed. I literally went on stage. I don't know if this is wise, but this is what I do in a gut shot. I went on stage and I said, guys, I think we were attacked here. These three big things happened. And I looked right on stage, and I said, I don't know if this is wise, but I think we all need to look right at the enemy and say, is that all you got? Because we're still here. Uh, Almost taunting. That's the kind of boldness that I think God's calling men to today. And I think I want the enemy to know this is the wrong group to pick on. No matter what you throw at us, God's going to let it persevere. He's going to turn evil into good. Are you sure you don't want to go elsewhere?
0: That's that's really good, man. You know, it's interesting. I'm I'm laughing about this gut shot comment. I just love it. In my briefcase, I carry a medical kit this big, and it's a tourniquet and a huge bandage. And it's actually for... You know, a car wreck when somebody's laying with their guts in the street. I want to be ready for that kind of scenario, and it's really interesting because I think what you did at that conference is what we as men should do with our families and with our friends. We need to acknowledge this fact. Hey, bro, looks like you've been gut shot. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think, or, or, hey, hey, bro, I think I've just been gut shot. Mm-hmm. I think when men refuse to acknowledge the fact they've seen a bro gut shot or when a man is like, no, I'm fine, it's just a, it's a, it's a graze. I know that's a, my fecal matter coming out of my stomach, but I think I'm going to be okay and not ask for help. They create a bigger problem, don't you think?
1: Absolutely. I, I mean, what I've learned, again, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I still need to learn these things and relearn them. But uh, when a gut shot comes or when a valley is ahead of me, the faster I can embrace the fact that this sucks, this is not what my plan A, 2020, uh, the faster I could embrace, there's going to be a new normal. Uh, the best leaders in the world, the quicker they recover and say, okay, what's the best plan B I can have? Those are the biggest and brightest. Those are the ones to get back to abundant life as quick, and I'm still learning it. I've got to learn that one over and over and over again. I think another piece that I've looked at is, I think there's a quote out there that says, never let a challenge escape you without the lesson it owes you. When you get a gut shot, you've already experienced the pain. Do not let that experience go away without learning something from it. So you had asked me what I learned about 2020. My reset, my do-over was I will never again spend six weeks in self-pity. As fast as God allows me to and gives me strength to, I'm going to embrace the fact I don't like this God. It's horrible, but what's what's your plan now? How do I get back on track? What can we do to make the best 2020 possible?
0: You know, Claire... You brought me back to a very painful memory of a time I was gut shot. Uh, we launched this ministry in 2012. We our house went into foreclosure uh, near the end of 2012 because we couldn't pay the bills. We were not raising enough money, and uh, we our house got saved. And so we are going through a refinance right now that dates all the way back to that 2012 experience. And you know it's really interesting because a lot of my friends in ministry are struggling right now, and I'm like, hey. Or a lot of guys I know want to launch something and they're afraid to, yeah. or they want to get out of their dead-end job and start something risky. And I go, what's the worst that can happen? They go, oh my gosh, I could lose my house. I go, so what? Yeah. We almost lost. Who cares? You're a Christian. Mm-hmm. Who cares if you lose your house? What's the worst thing that can happen? You lose your house and your kids gain a whole level of level, level respect for you because you had the cojones to go out and do something. You know what I'm saying? I think that I think that's so important. What else can they do to us? And and that's so good, man. And so what you did is you walked away from an experience going, okay, I had a six-week failure. So now I'll never do it again. And so, you know, you've got the battle wounds of a gut shot and you're like, okay, I'm good to go. I think that's so powerful. I love this gut shot (laughs) analogy. I've never thought of that because whenever you're hunting, you go, oh, crap, I hit him in the gut (laughs) And you know what that means. You know what that means in hunting. That's a nightmare. And so that's really good, man. I really do appreciate that. Uh, we're going to have to throw a meme up with that quote on there, Dale, on our Instagram account. By the way, we just hit 5,000 followers on Instagram. Wow! So uh, last year we had 400. <laughs> so pretty cool to see that. So a lot of people will be seeing that thanks to Dale. Dale's uh, done a great job on our Instagram account. Guys, you can follow us there at Men in the Arena, by the way, on Instagram. A lot of cool things going on. We're also on MeWe. That's a sidebar, but, hey, Claire, I really appreciate you coming on the show uh, from Van Halen (laughs) to the Pittsburgh Steelers all the way down to the Dallas Cowboys and then back to a gut shot. For some reason, the gut gut shot in Dallas Cowboys seems to fit well right now, but... Hey, do you have any closing words for these guys who are listening?
1: I uh, just want to encourage you. uh, 2020 is behind us, but I think 2021 is going to have its own set of challenges, maybe even a little more complicated in 2021. Uh, Take your eyes off the waves. God tells us what to focus on, look in his eyes. And, uh, man, the waves get smaller. Sometimes they disappear. And if you can't do it for you and your family, do it for the other men who need to see that your faith is real right now. We have an opportunity like we never had before where other men are shaking and they're listening. Uh, We need to have that Christ inside of us show on the outside as much as possible with all the boldness and all the faith that uh, he's instilled in us.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that, man. Guys, you're probably wondering, what are we going to do for boots on the ground? Guys, you you can listen to the podcast, but unless you put your boots on the ground, you've kind of wasted your time. With this show, because this show's about getting boots on the ground. So, guys, what what are you going to do about what you heard from Claire today? How are you going to respond? And and if I were to take everything we've talked about, Claire, and just say one thing to the guys, it would be this: Guys, listen. If you are currently not involved with at least one other guy in a Bible study, you have gut shot yourself. You have to get in the Word with another man. We have tons of resources for you on our website, manarena.org. Go get those. There are so many guys out there doing great ministry with great materials. Go use their materials or just grab the Bible and just start going for it with one of your buddies. You have to be plugged in to a Bible study. Maybe you're the guy that God has called to start a men's ministry in your church with one other dude. So I want to challenge every guy listening all around the world. Find at least one other guy and get into the Word of God
3: with that guy. Dale, drive us home. Guys, head on over to org and grab your free book just for men that we have on there. And make sure you head over to Facebook and join the Men in the Arena Facebook forum for men or MeWe. Check us out on Instagram. We're all over social media. And once again, if you uh, send us a review, then we will send you some swag. So get on that. And until next time. Fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And
2: be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins.